Hello, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I am Ryan Van Bibbert, NFL editor for SB Nation. With me, the brains of the operation, Stephen White. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm doing great. How about you? Well, it's pretty damn hot, and I'm just trying to kind of <laughs> stay cool, so... It's a. Uh, I had to turn like to record the podcast. I had to turn the air conditioner up or down, whatever you're supposed to say, in the summer, so like it doesn't like kick on and create any background noise. But like I, I put it up to 76, and the damn thing just kicked on anyway. So we'll see what <laughs> happens here. Yeah, I, look, that's that's like a no go down here in Florida. You, <laughs> I, I, I'd be done passed out in the middle of the podcast so I try to turn the air conditioners down uh, <laughs> or off here. It's it's just too hot, man. Yesterday I went to do do my little exercise and stuff outside, and Ugh. it's so hot. Like here, it's always about to rain, and then it rains for like an hour, and then it, the sun comes back out. Oh. So like you're always stuck in all this humidity too. So it, it's hard to breathe. It's so hot, and and that's just. Those are the days like yesterday that I just sit down and think to myself, how did you play football in this <laughs> What in the hell? How, how did you even do all that? But, man, I, 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 I always feel to, bad for the high school kids doing two-a-days in August and stuff here, too. It's like, damn. That's child ain't abuse. No 20-hour for them. Ain't no uh, NFL PA for them. No. He's still doing two-a-days like it's nothing. So. <laughs> ah, to be young, to be young. Oh, speaking young and <laughs> of to be young, we're going to have a special guest a little later in the show. Tyler Tynes is going to come on and tell us, talk a little bit about, he's uh, been on the scene in New Orleans uh, reporting on the Will Smith murder trial down there, which has been sad, obviously, but sad, but a fascinating uh, little piece of local political intrigue in New Orleans. And he's going to come on and talk about that in a little bit, so. That should be interesting. But in the meantime, we've got a little bit of uh, Stephen and I talked before the show. We're not going to get to, we're not going to get into how great everyone looks in minicamp at practice this week because I'm sure everybody's just awesome at seven on sevens, and your team is probably going to win the Super Bowl this year anyway. So we can skip that, and we can. I, I think let's start with to me, Stephen. What's really? The, I know the Von Miller franchise tag contract negotiation stuff is really commanding most of the oxygen in the NFL media right now. But the thing that really gets me that it just confuses the shit out of me is what the hell is going on between Mo Wilkerson and the Jets? Well, it kind of seems like not a lot at all. It, it, <laughs> it seems like nothing's going on with them. And, and he came out to the New York Post, and he, he's obviously frustrated, and I think he's 100% right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big proponent of signing guys early, young guys who, who are promising. <laughs> Back when Michael Bennett was here, and he was young, I said that we should have signed him to a long-term <laughs> deal uh, for what would have been peanuts. And... Uh, our management disagreed, but uh, I just think that the earlier you get them, you know, for one, you're going to lock them into your your team mm-hmm. for years to come. And for number two, as they say, the price of the brick is going to keep going up. So yeah. long as you wait for a guy who's showing you that he's a, a really good player to pay him, the, 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 the higher the price is going to be. But with Mo Wilkerson, 
you know, the thing that, that kind of separates Mo Wilkinson and his situation with the Jets from some of these other guys, uh, like Von Miller, and I got an interesting story about that, uh, kind of a rejoinder from the last podcast uh-huh. later on. But the difference is, usually you hear like two sides. You hear, well, here's what Von Miller wants. Here's what the team is offering. Yeah. Uh, and even to a lesser extent, you've heard that with Ryan Fitzpatrick on Mo Wilkinson's own team. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick wants this amount of money. The team is offering this. With Mo Wilkinson, and I thought they should have signed him a couple years ago, you don't hear any of that. It's almost like the Jets aren't negotiating with him at all. Yeah. Like, he hasn't come out and said he wants to be the highest-paid defensive player in the league like, like uh, uh, Revis did uh, some years ago. And so, and it doesn't appear from his comments that he cares about being the, the highest paid defensive player out of the highest paid defensive. And he just wants fair compensation. But we, in all this time, I have yet to hear what the Jets think of him in terms of a contract offer. They just kind of slap the franchise tag on them and go on their merry way. And you just have to ask yourself if you're Mo Wilkerson, uh, look, uh, I understand that they have other talented defensive linemen in New York. They just drafted uh, Leonard Williams, and I'm a v- very big fan of his. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have Sheldon Richardson, but, but you don't have to worry about Leonard Williams' contract for a while. He's on their rookie deal, and we know that they're getting paid peanuts compared to that, comparatively now from what mm-hmm. they used to. Sheldon Williams is a guy who uh, you know, has been in some trouble. And so you think you might be a little leery of, of handing him a boatload of money. Mo Wilkerson has been a model citizen, as far as we can tell, hasn't yeah. been in any trouble, has been consistent, has performed well for years, didn't just have all of a sudden have a big year last year and add some money. He's been a consistently good to, to very good player in this league. And it doesn't seem like they want to keep him long term. When he says that it appears that they just want to get the best out of me and then, you know, drop me. That's exactly what it seems like. And so it's very, very strange to me what's going on with him. And and come to find out today, I didn't really know notice this until today. He's actually from New Jersey. So he's a a homegrown kid, does everything the right way, plays hard, plays, you know, plays his ass off every week and, and, and has got the stats. Uh, to 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 command a big contract has been consistent, and you're not even really even talking to this guy. It seems if I'm his teammate, I gotta ask myself, well, well what the hell? Like, well, if you won't pay Mo Wilkinson, just who in the fuck would you actually? Pay? <laughs> yeah. and, and it and it has to get to that at some point. I, I just you know, if I'm him, I, I totally understand. I think he's shown amazing restraint waiting this long to say anything. And then he finally comes out, and he didn't really blast the organization. If anything, it's more like, you know, it's kind of like that Will Smith uh, 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 scene when he was doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> and he's like, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he want me? You know, he's talking about his dad. Why don't they want me? Why won't they pay me? And it, it's, it's a curious question, and I'm not sure anybody but the Jets have a good answer. Yeah. 
And I, I, don't, I mean, it's not easy to get this information just out of hand, but I'd be interested to go back and look at his snap counts because, I mean, he plays a lot. He had 12 sacks last season. He's got almost, he's got 28 and a half sacks. I know sacks aren't the end all be all, but this is a defensive end. This is a three, four defensive end too. I mean, these aren't guys that usually just rack up a whole bunch of sacks. Right. You know, you have J.J. Watt, and that's pretty much where the list begins and ends when you yeah. talk about uh, three, four, five techniques getting a lot of sacks. But he's all, even when he's not getting sacks, he's one of those guys, one of those rare guys who's always been able to get pressure from that position. And, you know, let me tell you something. <laughs> I tell people this all the time. Rushing from head up or almost head up is the worst fucking position to pass rush from in the world. It, it is miserable work. It takes a special kind of mentality and a special kind of skill set and a special kind of size to be able to do that. And Mo Wilkinson is the rare guy who has all those things, has done all those things. And, and like you said, it's not all about sacks, but let me, he's definitely a guy who can and has generated pressure, even when it wasn't sacks. You know, a lot of... Uh, 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 hurries and stuff like that and, and forcing guys to leave the pocket. That's who Mo Wilkinson has been since he came yeah. in the league. And, 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 and he's also a guy who I think on the open market would command pretty much Fletcher Cox money. Fletcher yeah. Cox got the big deal last week. They are much, they are very much similar players. Uh, you know, Fletcher Cox is going to be going to a 4-3 this year, and, and he's going to be a three technique, but he's been a 3-4 since, you know, when Chip Kelly was there, and, and there, are, there are a lot of similarities there. Yeah. And, whereas, you know, <laughs> Fletcher Cox is about to see $55 million by next March. Once again, the Jets don't even seem to be talking to Mo Wil- uh, Wilkinson trying to get something done. It just, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't. And, you know, another thing that I was thinking about with this this morning, too, is you go back and it's like, they obviously, this is his fifth year he was drafted in 2011. So he's playing on his, they picked up his fifth-year option already in the past. I, that might have been done by the previous administration. There, You know, they kind of changed GM and, and head coach before last season. But, and then... Not only that, but this current administration felt that he was worth the franchise tag. And why, you know, which is about $15 million for one season. So, you know, they, you've essentially started negotiations at $15 million a season there for, for the guy. But why tag him if you don't want to negotiate a deal with him? I mean, I, I guess that just doesn't make sense to me because it's so rare that a team tags a guy and then doesn't try to work out a, a long-term deal. Now, I know there's some exceptions to that but this just doesn't seem like you know if you've made this commitment to him for one year and you're willing to pay him 15 million dollars for one year why is it not worth talking about this year and in three years or two or three years beyond that you know normally it's a situation where uh, you slap a tag on a guy because Maybe he's shown you something for one year. Like I was talking about the guy that just all of a sudden, you know, he has the big year right before his contract is up. Uh, uh, and so you want to make sure he can, can do it consistently. Yeah. Or it's a guy who's been hurt a little bit, you know, and you want to see if he can stay healthy. Uh, Mo Wilkinson has only missed, I think, four games in his whole career. And every other game that he's played in, he started. Yeah. 
from his rookie season on, he started 16 games as a rookie and had three sacks then. He had he actually had 10 and a half sacks in 2013. Yeah. So, you know, this wasn't his first time even touching double-digit sacks. As a, once again, as a 3-4-5 technique, that's just not something you see every day. <laughs> so he's shown the consistency. He hasn't been hurt. You know, he broke his leg the last game of the season or what have you last year. But he hasn't missed a lot of time. Uh, 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 it, it just nothing about this like everything that you normally all of the 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 well maybes you normally have about a guy that you slap a tag on and you want him to play out the tag they just aren't here yeah and 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 then you add on, on top of that the fact that they don't have a 20 million dollar quarterback either so yeah. They can't blame, okay, well, we got this high-priced quarterback. We, 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 we can't, so we can't pay these other guys. I know they got Reavers, and he's, pay, he's making a good chunk of change, but still, you should have enough money here. And somebody pointed this out the other day, too. Um, when the prior regime was there with, with John Izzett, you know, he cleared all that cap space. Mm-hmm. So, really, cap space ha- has not previously, and it still isn't, an issue when it comes to trying to get him under contract for a long-term deal. It's, it's almost as if they just don't like the kid. Yeah. And I hate to say it that way, but I'm having a hard time coming up with a different reason right now. Yeah. Well, and, and, and two, and they didn't even try to trade him. I mean, you know, I can understand maybe they feel like, well, we've got, you know, we drafted uh, the kid from USC last year. Um, Man, I'm Leonard Williams, and we feel like you know we've got the depth, and we can you know we can afford to trade him and get some picks because Bo Wilkerson would be worth some premium draft picks, but they didn't do that either. Well, according to him, they did try, and it oh. just didn't work out. Okay. Um, but then again, you know who knows what they were asking for in compensation? Um, that can always be the tricky thing too. Like which which again comes back to this. If you think somebody else's asking price, like what they were offering for him wasn't enough, then why won't you fucking pay him? Yeah. Like if you're saying, okay, this guy's worth all this to us, so no, we're not going to trade him, then why won't you pay the guy? He wants to be there. He's from the area. Nothing about him and what he's done so far would say that he's a guy that's going to get the money and fall off. He's been consistent. He's played at all before games for you. What is the fucking problem? Yeah. And, and I said this early uh, in the offseason. It's been kind of just mind-boggling to me that we're spending all this time talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, quite frankly, was <laughs> mediocre last year. Let's be real about this. Yeah. They were 10-6, and six, and that's fine. He was fucking mediocre. You, you watch – I'm not advocating that anybody else watch – uh, red zone replay like I do. I know you got much better things to do with your time on the Sunday. But I'm just reminded again. Last week he threw them out of the out of a game at the end of the game. They were they were in it. They had a chance to win. And if they go 11 and five instead of 10 and six, they're probably in the playoffs. Uh, I think it might have been the Texans game. But he blows it. Just totally throws them out of the game. Throws a couple of interceptions. Yeah. At the end when they were still in the game for no fucking reason at all. And that's who he is. He's a guy that's going to make a lot of throws. He's a guy that's going to throw for a bunch of yards, but he's going to make big mistakes at the wrong times too. Yeah. And so we, we spend all this time talking about him, 
And up until now, and it took Mo Wilkinson himself coming out and saying something. We haven't talked about one of the best defensive players they've had, if not the best defensive player they, they've had over the last five years, not getting paid. Not only not getting paid, but the team basically acting like he doesn't exist. Hey, here's your franchise tag. Go sit over there and, and be happy. It, it's just kind of amazing to me. <laughs> well, and two, you look at how you look at why the Jets. Okay, the Jets bounced back. They won ten games last year. I mean, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily expected that. I mean, and we knew going into the season their defense was good, but you know, this is the Patriots division, and it still was the Patriots division. But the Jets really—they won ten games, and their de- they did it with a top ten defense. I mean. You know, they allowed less than 20 points a game on average. They beat the Patriots in Week 16 in overtime. And, you know, that defense had a big game that week. I mean, that doesn't happen. How's that defense going to look without Wilkerson? I mean, I think they'd be in for a rude awakening if they get rid of Wilkerson. And not to take anything away from Sheldon Richardson and Leonard Williams, who, I mean, we know are good players. But at the same time, it's like you get rid of – suddenly you get rid of – Wilkerson, it's not as good of a unit as it used to be. And now you've got to figure out, yet again, you've got to figure out, well, how the hell are we going to beat the Patriots, try to beat the Patriots this year? I think they're just shooting themselves in the foot with this. And, and again, Sheldon Richardson is a guy who's been in trouble. So, right. you know, you, you don't get to erase your record, so to speak, when it comes to the NFL. So if he gets in trouble again, he's going to get a bigger suspension and he hasn't shown you anything yet to suggest that he's matured where you can trust him. You don't have any of those issues when it comes to Mo Wilkerson from all uh, outside perspective. He looks to be a leader on his team. He's a guy that shows up every week with his lunch pail. He's never complained about anything. Uh, you know, he's not one of those look at me guys always in front of the camera and he does the dirty work for you. Yeah. You know, he's not getting sacks, man. Here's a dude that's getting a whole bunch of tackles too. You know, uh, a lot of guys you look up and they got 12 sacks and they got like 30 tackles, right? This guy 64 tackles last year, 56 the year before that, 63 the year before that, 69 the year before that. So again, Model of consistency, plays the run, plays the game where yeah. you want to, and doesn't get in trouble. What else? When he says, "What else do they want him to do?" He's not fucking lying. Like seriously, <laughs> tell tell me so I can tell him what else he needs to do for you to feel confident enough to at least offer this guy the going rate. Yeah, because again, I, I don't even think he wants to break the bank. It doesn't appear that they even want to talk about it, though. No. It's just it's a weird situation all around, and I think that this is the Jets are just doing themselves a disservice on this one. Um, it's just, and it's going to come back to haunt them. There's just no way. There's just no other way around it. All right, I, let's talk about another defensive lineman who's been in the headlines this week, and that's Von Miller with his con, his con, public, very public contract negotiations with the Broncos. I, I I get the sense that well, what happened yesterday? We was on Chelsea Handler, and they released a clip, and he said he wants to be a Bronco for life. He doesn't anticipate holding out this season. And then today he had that Instagram thing where he's like, he's not playing in 2016 on the franchise tag, which I, I mean, I know that this is that time of year people like to make a mountain out of a molehill. And I think that's kind of what's going on here because I think when July 15th rolls around, 
it's hard to see the Broncos and Miller not having a deal in place. Well, here's the thing. And I, I kind of talked about this before. John Elway is making me very nervous about yeah. this. Because he seems to be trying to be a GM and make business decisions, but he seems to also let his own personal feelings get involved. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about the Brock Osweiler situation in the aftermath, when he's talking about, oh, we want guys who want to be here, and he's kind of shitting on Osweiler after you just offered the man $15 million a year. And I, I said it then. That, that ain't the kind of GM you want. Right. That's some mm-hmm. shit fans do. You know, you, you find out the team's offering a guy a lot of money and then the guy says no. And then you shit on him all yeah. over you know, uh, Instagram and all that. And that's fine. You're a fan. You can do that. Yeah. But you're a GM. That, that's not really your purview. That, that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, if you don't make a sufficient offer and a guy finds a better offer somewhere else, you got to just. Shake your hand because guess what? You ain't winning the Super Bowl if Brock Osweiler doesn't come in there and, and kind of keep the boat afloat for a little while yeah. until Peyton comes back. He didn't play lights out. He wasn't, you know, all world, but he did win you a few or help you win a few games that you probably wouldn't have lost if he's not there, especially with if, you know, the extent of Peyton's injury was more severe than, than we all thought. And mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, it probably was. Yeah. So here's a guy that helps you win a Super Bowl, a guy that didn't bicker in the media once he got benched, although you know many guys in his situation heading into free agency would, didn't make any big, big you know fuss about it, go somewhere else, and then you're, you're crying like a, a, a scorned ex-girlfriend. So now you don't have a high-priced quarterback to, to kill your cap and keep you from sign, re-signing Von Miller. Yeah. You got every reason in the world to pay him. You probably should have paid him again early last year. Anyway, before the cap went up again, before he has this fantastic year. But you chose not to. And so now you got to pay the piper. Yeah. But it seems like he's going to stick to his guns trying to – I don't know if he's trying to show guys he's the fucking boss. But look, homie. You got Mark Sanchez slated to start for you this year. You better have a fucking Von Miller on your team, or y'all might not. Not only might y'all might not make the playoffs, y'all might be the worst team in that fucking division this year. Yeah. So you know what are you gonna do if you don't spend that money on Von Miller? Seriously, and I said this last week. You got a rookie quarterback who who might be ready at some point this year or some point in the future. Regardless, you ain't going to have to worry about his contract again for the next four or five years. Yeah. And you got Mark Sanchez who ain't making shit either. So why wouldn't you pay Von Miller? I went back last week. I talked about um, that play in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, The play where Von Miller strips Cam at the end of the game and that kind of seals the deal. The, The Broncos go ahead and score and then, you know, the game's over. Yeah. Um, and I talked about how um, when we talk about players making their teammates better, there was another guy open on that play. And if he doesn't make the strip sack right then, it's probably a big play. Well, I went back to look at it because, you know, I, I, I remembered the play, but I needed to refresh my memory. Right. 
So yeah. here's the thing. Um, we all know that uh, the Broncos have a pretty good starting safety tandem. Um, uh, uh, they got yeah. Ward yeah. and, and uh, the others got Darren 26. Stewart. Darren Stewart, right? But what they have been doing, it, it, which it, it refreshed my memory, I had to go back and watch the film. What they have been doing is on third and long, uh, they will move Ward up near the line uh, uh, to, 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 to take away you know, either a tight end or one of the receivers. And they brought in a guy by the name of Josh Bush. Ever heard of Josh Bush? <laughs> Probably not. You know, Josh Bush kind of bounced around the league a little bit. He was actually with the Broncos last year and mm-hmm. got released in October. And then they had some injuries and they picked him back up in December. So he basically only played on like third and long. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I had to keep like on that play, you can't even see who it is. Right. You can't see the number or anything. So I had to go back through the film on every third along just so I can track down who this guy was. Yeah. That's how little he was in the game. Number 20, Josh Bush. Right. He's playing safety. You got Devin Funches over there to his side and, and Ted again. Mm-hmm. Ted again runs a little flat route, about five yard flat route. And Funches runs a long corner route. Now, this guy, Josh Bush, is not Ward or, or, or the other kid. So he gets turned around. He thinks it's a post, and he drops to a post, has to completely turn around like a baseball player trying, trying to make a, a play in the outfield to play Devin Funtis's long corner route, which a corner route, for people who don't know, is where you run up the field mm-hmm. and then you turn at an angle towards the sideline. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, Cam looked off Josh Bush. He's the one that got Josh Bush to to, to bite on thinking it was a, a, a post, which would have been an in-breaking route. And then he's literally throwing, he's in the process of throwing to Devin Funches, who's wide fucking open. <laughs> I'm talking about wide open. On, they, they were on, the, the Panthers were on their own 25. Uh, Devin Funches is going to catch this football on the other side of the 50 around the 40-yard line, okay? And he's wide fucking open. Wide fucking open. If Von Miller, and, and again, the other sub, the other context to this is <laughs> I still don't understand uh, why their fullback didn't chip him. Like, he, he looked yeah. like he wanted to chip him and he then he went out on a route that he was not he was not going to be catching the football on that play, right? Yeah. But he didn't him for whatever reason, um, and so Von Miller literally gets the ball right as Cam is about to deliver it down the field. And the context of this is also the score is ten to six right now. They're yeah. only up six points. It's four minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And the ball is about to be on the Denver 40-yard line if Von Miller doesn't make that strip sack. So, again, this is a guy who doesn't just put up numbers. He absolutely makes his team better. He gives them the opportunity to play as much man-to-man defense as they do without having to blitz everybody and without giving them a quarterback time to pat the football and find somebody down the field. And he's helped you win a Super Bowl, and you're still lowballing this kid. 
Yeah. Right? Like, if anything, people were saying that the uh, Fletcher Cox deal would would further, quote-unquote, further complicate things between uh, Von Miller and, and, and the Broncos. And my thinking is this. Look, they're giving you a fucking blueprint. Yeah. If anything, this will make things easier. This is the going rate for a guy who didn't help his team win the Super Bowl last year and probably isn't quite as good or impactful of a player as Von Miller. So no, let's start right here. Let's start with this <laughs> outline and go from there. Because the Broncos, remember, were, were offering like $39 million guaranteed. Fletcher yeah. Cox is going to touch $55 million by next, well, it, it, like the middle of next March. Yeah. He's getting $26 million signing bonus, and then his, his, his future salaries are guaranteed come next March. $55 yeah. million. That should be, okay, look, we were so far apart, but now we got a blueprint now. Let's work off of this. Yeah. Well, but Justin it, but, Houston's but, uh, deal is yeah, similar wait. to that, too. Huh? And Justin Houston's deal is even similar to that, too. That's not as much as Cox's, but it's still, that's the, go, you know, that's, that's, the, the, that's the rate. And really, it's only the going rate for this year. Yeah. Right? Because, again, we got so used to the salary cap being stagnant and not going up. This new TV money and this new CBA, that shit is going to keep going up every year. So you better get them right now. Or, like I said before, the price of the brick is going to keep going up. <laughs> if you don't get them now, it's going to be even more next year. Yeah. And so, to me... You know, people looking at Von Miller. I'm looking at John Elway right now. I, I'm really looking at him sideways because maybe this look. I understand he got the pieces together to make that run and to get them that Super Bowl, and he got it done, and that's a great job. But I'm just telling you, he's starting to look a little too emotional for this job right now. Yeah, he's starting to look like instead of worrying about you know building the team. And being professional about it, he's starting to look like he, he, he's letting his personal feelings get involved, and he thinks the guy should just want to play there and not get paid, you know, th- their fair share. I, yeah. I remember with, with the, the deal uh, Derek Wolf got, you know, he got a below market deal. Yeah. But, you know, everybody was kind of like, okay, they stuck by Derek Wolf while Derek Wolf was sick, you know, he had the illness and, Shit, he might not even came back and played football again after that. Yeah. But they stuck by him. So, you know, his cannibals looked at like he's paying them back for their faith in him. Yeah. But Derek Wolf is not fucking Von Miller. Yeah. And you can't expect Von Miller to take a below market uh, uh, contract. And even if you did, like, <laughs> you're going to guarantee this man $39 million when $55 million is the going right. Yeah. By March, that, that is just incomprehensible to me, especially for a team, like I said, without a big money quarterback, without a quarterback that's going to get paid that kind of money anytime soon, probably. Yeah. And, 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 and you've let other guys walk. You know, you, you, you let the kid go to Jacksonville. You let some of your DBs walk, too, which, which happens after every Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, come in, raise your team. Let another team come in and get your, your quarterback in waiting. Now the guy that, that's been there from the start that helped you win the Super Bowl that literally, literally sealed the deal for you when another guy on your team had 
totally fucked up. Yeah. He'll basically blown the game and you won't pay the man. Yeah. I, I, I said last week that I didn't think that Von Miller would sit out. And that's based on the fact that players play. Yeah. You know, it's just too hard to sit there and watch your guys playing and you're not playing. But in this situation, I'm starting to come around. I'm starting to come around and believe that Von Miller, because he's like a different cat anyway. Yeah. That if it says he's not going to play under this tag, I, for, for one, I ain't mad at him. And for two, he might be dead ass serious. Yeah. So I know that everybody's talking about July 15th, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just telling you, unless John Elway gives, I wouldn't be surprised if July 15th comes and goes and ain't shit changed. He's got – yeah, what kills me with Elway, do you remember? The Broncos won those two Super Bowls and then Elway retired, and, and it wasn't a big flat because this was 1999 and there wasn't – you know, the media landscape has changed quite a bit since then. But Mike Shanahan came out and said something about – I mean, it wasn't like a shot at Elway or anything like that, but he came out and basically kind of said that, you know, well, it's tough to lose Elway, but we really believe in our system and what we've built here in Denver is bigger than – you know, just one man, blah, blah, blah. And then, well, yeah, how many fucking games did you win with Brian Greasy the next year? Six. So, and and did like, in Elway, like, there's Elway, I mean, has to be aware and conscious of all this. And now it's like the shoe's on the other foot and what's he doing? It's, it's, you know, X's and O's, not Jimmy's and Joe's. Especially from an ex-player, you just don't expect that. Yeah. If anybody you expect to understand guys going for the better deal or guys pushing to get top dollar. It's a former player. Yeah. It's a former player who made a whole lot of money in his time on the field too. Yeah. But but it just seems like um, at this point, the Elway is starting to, to feel like people owe him something. Like his players owe him something they owe the team something. They, they they're supposed to take less. Yeah. Just just because. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it doesn't fucking work that way, man. No. It, it just doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. And I think you know Miller was drafted in 2011, and I and I think and they signed Manning in 2012, and Manning put up all those awesome statistics, and he had a great run there for those you know couple years in Denver. But you still look, and by almost any measure. Von Miller, Von Miller's probably been the most valuable player on that team, the whole team, three out of his five years there. I mean, I think you could argue that nobody's been more essential to that team since they drafted him in 2011 and started, you know, consequently, they also started winning again in 2012. So, And, and people forget this. <laughs> Every time I say people forget, I just think of PFT. But people forget <laughs> that in the middle of this season, uh, DeMarcus Ware, who's the other uh, rush linebacker and, and great as, in his own right, was hurt. Yeah. So almost all the pass rushing had to come down to Von Miller at a time where Peyton was struggling and they had to turn to to Osweiler. And, man, he, he balled out. Yeah. He balled out, and then when DeMarcus Ware came, there was like the icing on the cake instead of, oh, we got to just limp along until DeMarcus gets back. No, because DeMarcus Ware had been hurt, you know, in previous seasons, and it kind of all went to shit. This year, Von Miller was like, shit, he picked it up a notch. Yeah. So you know what this kid, man, this kid can do it all. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he's a rare talent 
that that you don't doesn't come along very often. He can do it. He not only that shit. He had the interception. I think in in the AFC Championship game. I think it was, and he just showed an incredible ability to drop and, and play the ball on that play. And, and we talk so much about his pass rush ability, but there's nothing that he can't do on the football field. Yeah, we're talking about a defensive player. He can Look do it all. Coverage, man, shit. Right, and, and 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 when he wants to, you can't block him against the run either. Mm-mm. So uh, there is nothing this kid can't do. He uh, he's another guy that's shown you what he can do. He he got in a little trouble with the the the, the drug test before. Um, I can't remember the exact circumstance, but I remember it being like you know, some weird shit going on. Yeah. But five years in the league, double-digit sacks, four out of the five years. The only the only year he doesn't make double-digit sacks is the year he only played nine games. Yeah. So, it, it, what do you, again, what do you want? The yeah. going rate, people need to understand this, and, and, and I know it's going to take some people, especially fans, a while to come around on this, but but especially us as, as like commentators on the NFL. We have to get our, wrap our head around this new NFL with the much higher salary cap. Yeah. Because we hear numbers and we just automatically think, oh, that's too much. Yeah. No, it's not. What is the percentage of the salary cap that that contract commands? That's yeah. really what matters now. Yeah. It doesn't matter the actual, you know, just the raw numbers. Oh, he's getting 20 million a year or he's getting this many million a year. What matters is, yeah, when the salary cap was a hundred and twenty million, you giving a guy twenty million a year was ridiculous. Yeah. Now that it's damn near one forty, a hundred and forty million a year, it's not quite as ridiculous anymore. Yeah. So that's another thing to me that that has to happen is that we all kind of have to recalibrate how we feel about contracts and, and what is quote unquote too much or 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 the going rate. I yeah. just feel like right now you look at Fletcher Cox's deal and three years from now, while we were kind of gawking over it now, three years from now, we'll probably be like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. But, you know, but if that's the going rate, man, if Fletcher Cox is getting 55 million before next March, Von Miller obviously should at least get that much, if not more. Yeah, exactly. All right, Stephen, speaking of big time, big money free agents, Let's bring in Tyler Tynes right now. All right. Got <laughs> <laughs> the applause going in the background. <laughs> and pardon me if I if this like there's a good chance that I'll fuck up the the tech part here. But Tyler, Will you are fuck you up there? the tech part? Hello. Hello. Do you Ooh. hear me? Yeah. Tyler. Do you hear me now? Can you hear us? Hello? I can hear you. Hello? Tyler. Tyler. Can you hear me? We can hear we can you. Hear can you hear, us? hear us? Wait, can you hear this? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Can you can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you really not hear us? I can hear you, but can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, good then. Good. I'm using this little mic in the podcast room, so I'm just making sure this shit works. Yeah, well, it sounds professional, let me tell you. But, but you know I only do professional shit. So. It sounds high dollar. Hold on, let me let me put the the live session light on. What? They got live session light and everything, man. Actually, it's just like a piece of paper. Oh. 
Now, Stephen, have you have you followed Tyler's work? He's been covering the Will Smith trial in New Orleans. We should get a goddamn light in this place, though. Shit. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing, and 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 Tyler obviously is going to elaborate on it. Um, I didn't say much about uh, what happened initially on social media, or anything, because I've come to understand that the first reports around stuff like this is usually wrong. Sometimes it's wrong a little bit. A lot of times it's wrong almost totally. And so while, you know, I think at the most, you know, I, I said some words about uh, Will Smith and, and just, you know, regardless of the circumstances, um, how sad it was to lose him at that age. Yeah. Uh, younger than me to, to something you know, so violently. And his wife got shot too. Obviously, at the same time. But as time is going on, we've seen this story kind of changing a little bit. The details and and uh, the shooter, his his supposed motivation and, and, and allegations against Will Smith. And so uh, Tyler has obviously been following this very closely. He's been uh, reporting on it for us from uh, on the ground. Uh, in New Orleans, so mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely interested, and everybody should be, to hear, you know, where we're at with this with this investigation and, and and the discussion around the whole confrontation to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, so far in the case, it's it's probably one of the most muddled cases I've ever been a part of, having some previous experience doing court reporting. But I mean, it's it's just a whole damn mess, honestly. Uh, the, the original reports were that you know, here's Will Smith, this angelic player who's going to be uh, in their you know their little Hall of Fame kind of ceremony, the Ring of Fire, who yeah. won a, a a Super Bowl during Katrina. You, you don't get any higher than that in, in New Orleans sports folklore. You won a Super Bowl during Katrina. You're on that team. You're, you're a legend down there. And the, the, the immediate thing that people didn't really understand was that this was going to split across racial lines. You know, it's going to split between the Tom Bensons, the Sean Paytons, and the people who stand out for the New Orleans Saints. Then it's going to switch between Cardell Hayes and the average black people who live in New Orleans, no matter how gentrified it's becoming. And there became this immediate uh, carving and casting of Will Smith is this guy that the city should love and X. That's what the rest of the country saw from the local news outlets. Yeah. We're come a week later, two weeks later, when John Fuller gets on the case, this, you know, this loquacious, uh, almost preacher-like type of lawyer with, with huge cufflinks. It's like he's, an, he's a character. It's like this whole thing is theatrics. And, and him he's Hayes' there, attorney. He's Hayes' attorney, yeah. He comes in. He's smarter than everybody else in the case immediately. He, he's, he's, you know, he's he's. he's He's truly, truly just a character. Everything he does is tangible. You know, you, you have to notice John Fuller. And with his diction and, and his rhetoric, he immediately sets the tone for this case that nobody understands what's going on in this case more than he does. Mm-hmm. And that played out over the last two months. He said there was a gun in Will Smith's car. There it was. He said that the toxicology report would bring back something negative about Will Smith. There it was. He said that Carl, Cardell Hayes might not be the aggressor. And from the last piece of testimony that we've heard in these motions hearings— that can still be decided by a jury. There's enough evidence in there that if you wanted to build a Louisiana Stand Your Ground case, the same case that got George Zimmerman off when he killed Trayvon Martin, it's there. 
you know, the prosecution hasn't pulled many moves. So from the national perspective, we're, we're now starting to see the fullness of this case that this could perhaps go either way, yeah. you know, in somebody's mindset. The other thing that I've been thinking about every time I've gone to New Orleans is how the hell is a jury of 12 supposed to fairly try this for either side? Has that come up from either from the prosecute from either side in this case about the jury trying to get a, a change of venue or something? It hasn't come up yet, but I, I, the likelihood that they change venue is slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it's going to be in front of Camille Burris. We know it's going to be in criminal court. We know it's going to be on 2700 Tulane, the infamous 2700 Tulane courtroom. Uh, Fuller has said from the jump from, from April that he didn't want to switch courtrooms. Fuller also really didn't want this trial that early. There's a lot of rumors going around that John Fuller didn't want to see this case until after football season was over, uh-huh. which – would probably behoove him as opposed to having this in the middle of September where a bunch of national news outlets can just start picking this up at any time. The judge also doesn't think this is going to be more than a two-week trial. And that seems even a little far-fetched given the fact that there's a lot of murkiness in this case that we still don't have anything about. There's so much gray area in this case. He could get acquitted. The case could get thrown out. This could be a stand your ground win. This could be Cardell Hayes goes to jail for the rest of his life on a second degree murder charge. One of them out of the four charges mm-hmm. that he's already gotten. So there's a lot of crap that's in this case that the local media outlets are not trying to write about. Or they just plain aren't. Or they don't have enough space in their newspapers. I don't even know what a newspaper is anymore. So <laughs> it, there's just a lot of variables to why the entirety of the news is not getting out there. Well, tell, I mean, the the everybody knows Will Smith and 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 who he is and his background in football and with the Saints and and even a little bit about his place in the community there. But I, I think one thing that's kind of been interesting in following this trial through your reporting has been the image of of who Cardell Hayes is. I mean, this isn't just some random guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, this is a this is a guy that's. there's there's a complexity to this character tell us a little bit about who he is well the defense wants you to believe that there isn't that much of the complexities to this character that Uh. he is a a middle-aged black man in new orleans and he could have been like anybody else getting to a fender bender then have an altercation and then a situation occurs from that that doesn't seem to be very much accurate so we've got cardell hayes this six foot four 300 pound black man from new orleans who played prep high school football was a top 50 recruit out of the state of louisiana was getting looks from lsu in florida central florida a lot of high-powered southern schools and then he kind of fell off the face of the earth his dad who they thought had mental illness was shot and killed by new orleans police in 2005 one of the characters in, in this during case katrina Yes, I believe, or a little. It might have been a little bit before Katrina. I can't place the date actually. Um, but his dad was killed by another actor in this uh, in this case, Billy Cervolo. Billy Cervolo is an ex uh, police captain for the New Orleans Police Department who had dinner at Saki Restaurant with Will Smith the night he got killed, and he's consistently been brought up in this case by the defense. Uh, nothing palpable yet, or not even you know really palatable, but it, he's been consistently brought up in this case. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, Will Smith uh, settled outside of court. He was arrested in, I think, 2011 for having uh, uh, prescription drugs in his car and, I think, an illegal weapon. Uh, He was supposed to get five years in jail. I think John Fuller tried his case then, too. Mm -hmm. And then he got down to six months, and I think then he got down to house arrest. And then I don't think there's really any record of him even ever going to jail. So he has his son, I think a five-year-old son. He's a truck driver. Uh, He has, I think, two sisters and a mother. Uh, he's lived in New Orleans his entire life. 
to, 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 to the basicness of, of New Orleans uh, racial, socioeconomic, and demographic makeup, he's very average. I mean, not in size, but in characteristics of what the average black city would have for an average man. He, he's very average. The difference, however, is that for what we know about this case, Cardell Hayes also got into a hit and run four months prior to this hit and run. He gets into this hit and run. The defense wants you to believe there's no connections between the, the original shooting of his father and Billy Saravolo. He hits well, Will Smith actually hits his car first. He goes to pull over. Will Smith fakes to pull over and then pulls off. Cardell Hayes allegedly follows him, calls 911, but there are no 911 tapes of this, and then bumps into his car. They get out of the car. Cardell Hayes brandishes a gun as soon as he gets out of the car. The defense wants you to believe that Cardell Hayes got hit upside his head a few times by Will Smith and allegedly up to three other actors, those of whom we don't have names for. But Cardell also said this in his 4.43 a.m. testimony to police, literally hours after the killing. Will Smith allegedly told him, if you got your gun, I'm going to go get my gun. Mm -hmm. And Will Smith turns, Raquel Smith, his wife, is physically pulling him from his car, and Cardell shot him. Seven times in the back and one time around the hardish area as he went to turn. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith died near his glove compartment. The defense wants you to believe that given his body, the angles his body was at once he laid in that car, he was reaching for a gun. The prosecution wants you to believe that at no shape and form or any time is it illegal for only Cardell Hayes in this situation to have a gun. They both have concealed carry permits. Mm-hmm. That's all we know right now. Now, the question which... Um, I'm not sure that there's an answer to yet is we know that Will Smith was registered to have a gun and that he owned a gun. Yes. Has that gun actually turned up yet? His gun in the glove compartment? Right, because I thought at the time they were saying that it just kind of disappeared from the scene. We don't have any proof that it disappeared. There's no proof of the rumor that there were two guns. Uh, There's no proof of any of that so far. But there was a ballistics report ran and tested, and that is Will Smith's gun. He does have a carry license for that gun, and they found that gun in his glove compartment. And when it was removed from the glove compartment, it had all of its bullets in it. The only thing that the ballistics report came back on was one gun from Cardell Hayes, even though his passenger, Kevin O'Neill, verified there was another gun in the car. But that Mm -hmm. gun... That wasn't wasn't fired as far as far as I know. Now I would think that a huge uh, deal in this whole situation would be his wife, Will Smith's wife, especially since she's a victim too. Um, in this situation, has there been any talk? Because that's one thing I, I think has been missing too is. What has been her version of events? Because I'm not sure I've ever actually seen that in print or anywhere else. What she said happened, and obviously she was, you know, traumatized at the time. I'm not sure that they even interviewed her right away since she was also a gunshot victim. But um, what has she said that we know right now that she said about the incident or what was her version of events? Bruh, we ain't got nothing from her. <laughs> so right, right. That's the thing is, yeah uh, I mean, the thing is like you know the only public appearance she's made for real for real is when she went to the university of miami to get his posthumous uh, uh degree but uh, the thing is like she's not the only one we need to hear from we need to hear from billy saravolo we need to hear from pierre thomas who was on the scene right after mm-hmm. and took a flight to chicago immediately after this shooting happened 
So my question becomes, if you're Pierre Thomas and this one of your best friends and y'all won a Super Bowl together and y'all boys, why did you get on a plane right after your best friend got killed? Who you had dinner with that night? What you hiding? But I believe he did get called to the grand jury uh, before uh, Cardell got indicted. But so he's been around, but he's been real incognito. And Raquel, she's in a wheelchair as of now, I believe, doing physical therapy. But uh, yeah, we ain't heard nothing from her either. So it's hard for me to believe this case is just going to be two weeks. Yeah. Right. (laughs) See, my thing is, like, right after this all happened, once again, you know, I knew that some of the details that were were allegedly fact were going to be shown to be disproven um, in time. But the thing, my questions about the gun and stuff, you know, right after the fact, the story was that Pierre Thomas or somebody in their uh, group that had all been out, you know, uh, uh, um, having a good time that night had wished wished, uh, Will Smith's gun away. So, you know, at the time, at, at first, it seemed like there wasn't even a gun in the car, but it was supposed to be. And maybe Pierre Thomas... And, and, or one of those guys hit it somewhere. First that, they that said was Pierre, like running yeah. rumor. Yeah. So, First they said uh, Pierre Thomas moved a gun. Then they said right. Billy Cervolo moved a gun. Then it was this notion of somebody moved a gun. Then it was the notion of the third car because Will Smith's car hit a third car and Impala, somebody in that car moved a gun. Then there was the notion of the other two uh, witnesses in Will Smith's car moved a gun. And maybe the other two witnesses in their car also were the other two actors that jumped Cardell, allegedly. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you see all this? We, right. we, we, we don't know what happened. The only people that know what happened were somebody out that Impala, somebody in the backseat of that Will Smith car, Will Smith, Raquel Smith, Cardell Hayes, and Kevin O'Neill. Only about six people know what happened because the prosecution showed their hand a little bit at the beginning of June in one of these motions hearings, and they brought up, uh, I think his name is McGuire, Officer McGuire, uh, who came through and was a, you know, he was having dinner with a young lady around the corner. Um, when he heard gunshots, but when he heard the car crash, then he heard the argument, then he heard the escalation of the argument. Then he got him not, he called 911 because he's off duty, he was off duty with no weapon. And he said, This is what's going on. Then he heard a staccato of gunfire. Yeah. And then he ran up on Cardell and said, What happened? And Cardell said, well, What was I supposed to do? Yeah, that's the most interesting thing to me about, about this whole case from the start is that even if you think Cardell Hayes is the devil incarnate and he just gunned Will Smith down 100% for no reason, the fact that he stuck around for the cops to get there, to me, is just that's the part that doesn't fit yeah. in this whole thing. Because you thought, first of all, he had to know who Will Smith was because he worked security for the Saints. At allegedly, one point in time. allegedly, but the Saints right. say he never worked security, which that well, I, really I enough. know somebody <laughs> who reports down there, and they're pretty sure exactly. You know, the he Saints was at least around also, the facility. I'll put it that right. way. The Saints and, are and also Orleans, a, big, a, big, a big team in this. The Saints are a big part in this. The Saints are keeping a lot of information closed off. Yeah. So that's enough a part of it. But hey, listen. If you kill somebody, <laughs> even if you think it's a. I know people that their first instinct would be to flee, even if they were 100% self-defense shooting somebody. Bruh, right? shoot somebody. It's just like, 
man, I'm freaking out, you know, let's go or just get away from the scene. Especially if he's got a whole nother other car of his people right there too. But he stayed there. So to me, I think that is also going to be a big bone of contention uh, whenever the trial happens, if there is, in fact, a trial. Well, there's going to be a trial. There's going to be a trial. It it just depends on how that trial is. But there's still so many, you know, so many murky, murky facets about this case, you know. So, like, I, I I don't really know, I guess, best the best way to elucidate this, but. It took two months for us to see Cardell Hayes show any type of emotion. The defense wants you to know, Jay Daniels and John Fuller, they want you to know that their client complied 100% of the way through the entire thing. He didn't flee. He didn't cuss. He didn't smell like alcohol. You can run a toxicology test on him and it'll come up clean. A five foot six white woman who arrested this six foot four, 300 pound black man, she handled him harder than he handled her. He got into the back of the police wagon. He got in separate cars from Kevin O'Neill. So the thing about if you want to frame this man as as the devil incarnate, as as a as a killer, as somebody who got out his car with a gun with cognition to kill somebody in that other vehicle, there's enough evidence for you to also think that this dude ain't the dude you think he is. There's enough evidence from the city of New Orleans, from his family, from his friends, from people who we know in passing, from the barbershop that he's at, that Cardell Bear Hayes might not be the dude we think he is. But at the same time, he is a dude who hopped out a vehicle with a gun. So he might be the dude we think he is. But we also don't know because there's not enough evidence for us to really understand who he is and what his mindset was. But probably the most telling piece of evidence, the two most telling pieces of evidence in this whole thing so far is the 911 call from Officer McGuire where you could hear Cardell saying, what was I supposed to do? Yeah. And his 4.43 a.m. testimony to police officers they did not ask for because they Mirandized him. He said he wanted his lawyer and then he cracked and he gave the full account from his account of what happened. And Cardell was physically distraught. His head was on a table. His head was in his hands. His dreads were in his hands. He, he, it was the first time you saw this guy act human. For whatever that could mean to anybody from a bunch of different ways it means, the, 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 the denotation and the connotation of what it means to be human, that's what Cardell Hayes was at that moment for, that, for those 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. He looked distressed. It looked like that was the first time he realized that he killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, no matter what, Cardell Hayes knows that he killed somebody. You can see in a lot of the reporting that I did that, you know, he's been shaking his head defiantly. He's been cracking jokes with family members. He knows all the bailiffs in criminal court. Like New Orleans is that kind of tight knit community, especially in their black community. But the thing is, like, he still knows he killed somebody. Yeah. He still knows he hasn't seen more than two places in the last 90 ish, 60 ish days besides that courtroom and that jail. He knows that. He knows what his reality is. He knows that, you know, by October 4th, he may never see his family again. He knows that. That is a thing that this man knows. So I don't think, to me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stereotypical characteristics of a guy who's committed homicide, yeah. cognit- cognitively committed homicide. And Cardell Hayes just don't seem like that dude. But I will also say, obviously, there's not a script to a murderer. Yeah. Well, you know, and two, one thing I've noticed in your reporting is that, you know, you think that you just assume, well, Will Smith and the Saints, because of their role in the community, their prominence and everything, that people would really, you know, Cardell Hayes wouldn't have a lot of people 
in his corner, but there were people in the courtroom in support of him. The whole courtroom is in support of Cardell Hayes. The whole courtroom yeah. is in support of Cardell Hayes. The only people not in support of Cardell Hayes in that courtroom every time we go in there is the non ten media members, the prosecution, and the random lawyers that are up in there. Yeah. The whole courtroom audience, Big Frida, his family, his mom, his pastor, his dudes from the barbershop, everybody is there for Cardell Hayes. That whole courtroom is black. Why is that? Because... This is a dude, as far as I know right now, and I don't really have a, a, a truer answer to this, but for as tight of a community as New Orleans is, mm-hmm. for a dude who was a football star for about at least at max four years, at minimum two years, at a big prep school, mm-hmm. a dude who could have broke the systemic chains of poverty that, that, that inflict themselves around black people yeah. and, and people of color, this dude was almost the crab that got out of the barrel. And... For whatever reason, he did go to college. He didn't play football. I think he went to Southeastern. He just didn't. He just came back. And this became his life. Maybe it's because his dad got killed. I don't know. But the community knows Cardell. And the community speaks highly of Cardell. But we have seen in cases where black people protect their own, even though even if they are 100% guilty. Yeah. But I just don't have that vibe from this community, from the people that I know in New Orleans, people I've met in New Orleans, the people who who are unbiased, who aren't in his corner, that do know him or know a little bit about him. The thing is that the the local media in New Orleans wants you to think that Will Smith was that dude in the New Orleans community, and that can be further from the truth. People down there, they they don't know Will Smith like that. They don't, they don't know about his gun activism. They barely know that he drugged his wife out of a club in 2011 by her hair. They barely know he was yeah. a domestic abuser. They barely knew that he had alcohol issues. They just know he won a Super Bowl when it mattered the most. And John Fuller, uh, in maybe one of his most uh, revealing moments to certain members of the media, uh, last time we were down there, he came out of his mouth and he was like, you know, people want to believe that they're sports heroes are the same dudes that put on these pads for three hours a day that give you the escape from your mundane life. Yeah. And he said it, it would be fictitious and upsetting to think that these guys aren't human, that these men and women who, who put on these pads and helmets, they aren't human. They go through the same stuff that we go through, the yeah. same, the same stuff we go through. So is it crazy when you see a Super Bowl champion have to go through, you know, an alcohol issue or a, a, a domestic abuse issue? No, it's, it's human. We have flaws. You know, shit's wrong with us sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just crazy to some people, not everybody in New Orleans, but it's crazy to a lot of people to think that one of their sports heroes, you know, is flawed. Yeah. And let's not get it twisted either. This is a defensive end. <laughs> this, you know, this ain't Drew Brees, yeah. you know. Well, so what's next? I mean, when do they? When are they back in court for this? Back in court for the last piece of discovery, July fourteenth. Uh, so that's a month's time, and that should be, you know, just, just a verification that everything is in order, uh-huh. and then uh, both sides will will ready themselves. And there's, there's eventually got to be, you know, a, a jury process and yeah. section hearing. We haven't heard about that yet, but I would think that's probably going to be sometime in August mm-hmm. or. Or early September. The case is September twentieth. It should last until at least, at least according to Camille Burris, the the, the criminal judge. Yeah. It should last until October fourth. But that just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. It doesn't seem realistic at all. And let's remember that Cardell Hayes got indicted nineteen days after he committed murder, allegedly 
committed. Well, he committed. Well, he killed a dude. Um, after he killed a dude, he got indicted. Drug dealers don't even get indicted in 19 days. Yeah. <laughs> you you could be a part of a cartel. You ain't getting indicted in 19 yeah. days. The, the FBI got 800,000 people on a watch list. <laughs> they don't get indicted in 19 days. Yeah. So why is it that this dude who killed somebody on the Saints got indicted the fastest I've ever seen somebody be indicted? And why is it that this dude is going to trial four months after this, indict- after this indictment? This is all real, real fast. I wasn't expecting a trial till January 2017. But yet, I mean, it's better for the family that they get a quick trial and they know if they get their son back. Yeah. It's better for the state to know if they're putting a alleged murderer behind bars forever so that another family can have, I guess, an inch of closure. Um, but I don't I don't know. This there's a lot of there's a lot of shadiness in this case. And uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to look at some of these actors, too. John Fuller is an established criminal defense lawyer in the city of New Orleans. Yeah. He got his law degree in New Orleans. Tanya Piku Fayette, who represents, um, you know, Billy Cervolo, another very established lawyer in this case. The state has access to all the evidence they could possibly want, the forms they could possibly want. From the jump, the defense is at a disadvantage. You know, uh, uh, Peter Thompson is a part of Tom Benson's legal team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the saints could be putting money up for this you know it, it it there is too many connections in this small ass city that you can't not think something's going on this is also corrupt new orleans yeah well i was just <laughs> gonna say this new orleans is a is a whole different place when it comes to when it comes to stuff like this too Man, I don't even feel old enough to be in New Orleans. Like, <laughs> I, 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 just, I just turned 21 last year, and they got me down here in the French Quarter. I'm like, damn, this is this is this is beautiful. But <laughs> the thing is, like, there's a separation. You look at the, the the demographics in New Orleans, and you see the separation in this case as well. You see the French Quarter. You see the touristy shit that goes up and down through mm-hmm. Royal Street and Canal Street and Bourbon. And then you see Holly Grove, you, you see the projects, you see, you see Eagle. Yeah, you see, you see all of these places where black people live. Yeah. You see that the neighborhood of Tulane ain't what it used to be. You see that New Orleans keeps consistently gentrifying itself to save itself and save that municipal budget and that state municipal budget. You, you see all the inklings of, of a city that's on the ropes between both cases. Yeah. What's better for the city? If the average black man wins this case or if the, or if the painted hero wins this case. Yeah. This is this is what John Fuller has always said. He's he's framed it as David versus Goliath, you know, which is, you know, so corny. But it that's that's kind of what this is, man. You know, like I, I'm not expecting I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know many people expecting uh, Cardell Hayes to come out as the victor in this. Yeah. Outside of good. It's uh it, it's it's been interesting to follow and it will it will continue to be. I mean it's sad, like I say, it's sad, but it's a. Uh... It's a it's a it's a fascinating story, um, Stephen. While we have Tyler, we probably should. I know we talked about we mentioned Fletcher Cox earlier before he came Fletcher. on. The show. Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy, 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 Fletcher. Tyler's an Eagles fan. North Philadelphia. I apologize for that in advance. I ain't apologizing for nothing. <laughs> what did you think of the Fletcher Cox deal? Were you happy to see ah, Fletcher Cox? I was happy Cox? as shit. Oh, man, I was so happy. Fletcher Cox got his money. Come on now. Hey, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you this. We have we probably haven't had a more important defensive player in the, in the last few years in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles since, like, the 21st century started outside of – outside of – ooh. 
Ooh, outside of um, outside of you know Brian Dawkins, we haven't yeah. had that many important defensive players. And Fletcher Cox, for as under the radar as he is, he is a monster. Now, I mean, it's the most guaranteed money outside of a quarterback, I think, ever, $63 million. But if Fletcher deserves that. I don't know I don't know many other defensive tackles, defensive linemen, that are as good as he is right now. I mean, Dominic Sue's up there. But this guy is legitimately a top three, top five defensive lineman in the game right now. Like, he's in the same characteristics, uh, the, same, the same bracketing as, as J.J. Watt, as in Dominic Sue. As, as guys like that. So why not pay him? Yeah. Why not give your best defensive player, your young defensive yeah. player money? Why not? I mean, at the same time, the Denver Broncos now going to have to ante up a little bit more money for their guy. But, <laughs> you know. Well, now if he could just, if maybe he can, uh, if he can help the quarterback situation at all. We don't have a quarterback situation. <laughs> There, there is no quarterback situation. We suck. <laughs> Our quarterbacks suck, and hopefully Carson Wentz don't keep getting stuck in bathrooms. You know, and uh, we, we, we be all right. You know, Sam Bradford is a very average quarterback. Uh, hopefully, he gets us to uh, a wild card spot. If not, shit, we gave Chase Daniel thirty six million dollars. I'm sure he could do something. That's right, he's a Doug Peterson guy. I swore that our plan was to get rid of Sam Bradford and let Chase Daniel be 1999 Doug Peterson in the flesh. And then Carson Wentz become our, our Donovan McNabb. I swore that's what this was. And then Sam just want to come back and, 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 and stop being a chump and come back because he ain't get that paycheck he thought he needed. Sam, <laughs> you ain't even played a whole season of football enough for you to get this money, fam. Come on now. Just, just play football. Just, just, and I'm, I'm never a person of just like a stick to sports type of person. But Sam Bradford does not have the bandwidth to, d- to demand money. I, he doesn't have that. I've got more bandwidth to play NFL quarterback than Sam Bradford does to demand money. You can't demand money. You still wear sleeves. You still wear sleeves on your jersey. You can't get money, fam. I don't got money for you. The mayor don't got money for you. Jeff Lurie don't got money for you. Don't nobody got money for you. So <laughs> you might as well just, you know, do your little three-step drops. Hope the line is, is, is you know, stable enough that you don't get hit every other play. And let's win these nine games. Because the Redskins not going to do it again. So let's, let's, let's win these nine games. Let's go. That's right. Well, hey, this has been great. Steven, do you have anything else for Tyler? Uh no. Uh, actually, <laughs> the next the next guy on their list is actually going to get paid though is the nose tackle. Uh, Benny Benny Who, Logan. Benny? Yeah, Benny. Oh, yeah. Because, Benny got uh, because the thing of it is, is that uh, Benny Logan came in, and everybody thought he was going to be a little undersized for a three four, and he is, but he doesn't play like it, right? He, he was a four three nose tackle at LSU. Um, but he found a way. He just found a way that at his size, he was still dominant as a nose tackle. So as excited as I am to see uh, Fletcher Cox as a three technique in this new defense, I'm just telling you, man, Benny Logan is going to, he's going to be in the backfield a lot this year. So uh, I'm not exactly sure that the the Eagles are going to pay him because I'm not sure you can pay both of those guys. But don't be surprised if Benny Logan isn't the guy who, it ends up getting paid next year too because it's just the, it, he's going to have a lot more single blocks now in a 4-3 defense than he ever saw as a 3-4 nose tackle. My question becomes for 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 Benny, uh does does he warrant big money though, right? Like like does he Absolutely. does he warrant that big money? 
Because absolutely, uh, he, I think he wouldn't. He, he wouldn't necessarily as a three four nose tackle because yeah. um, it's just hard to pay three four nose tackles. You look at the best three four nose tackles in history. I'm talking. You can go back to uh, Green Bay with the uh, when they weren't necessarily a three four, but uh, the the Grave Digger. I think <laughs> I think it was his nickname. <laughs> Uh, was you know three hundred and eighty pounds or or, or uh, Big Ted uh, up in, in in Buffalo? He was damn near four hundred pounds, and those guys are hard to move and they're hard to find, but they're easy to fit in the cap because they don't make big money. Right. But when you have a guy like Benny, who has been like I said, he's been outstanding in a three four, but it's been in spite of not because of necessarily his size. Everything that he had to fight against as a three-four nose tackle is now kind of lifted off of his shoulder. Yeah, for sure one, Fletcher Cox is going to see a whole lot of attention anyway, right? On passing mm-hmm. downs, the center is going to slide to Fletcher Cox probably about seventy percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So that means Benny is going to get all of these one-on-ones, which he hasn't seen thus far in his career. And, and that's what I'm, I'm excited, excited to see man. for him. Yeah, yes, I'm very excited to see how so he explosive and strong and and just powerful. And he's had to use that taking up double teams and stuff before. Now one on one, I just I I can't wait. I would hate to be a guard that had to block him one on one for most of the game. I put that <laughs> put it that way. Benny also has like this Philly beard. Every time I see Benny, he got this real <laughs> tough beard that I wish I had because I'm barely growing facial hair. But the thing about Benny is like. I think you've elucidated a lot of it is that fact that, you know, he's been a 3-4 guy. He's coming off rotations. He's coming off subs. And he's been a disruptor for most of his career. It's not like he's racking up tackles. He had 55 tackles last year. He's got like 140 tackles in his career. He's not racking these up, but he's in the backfield. There's rarely a play where I see Benny not in the backfield. So, like you said, you're getting him on single blocks and he's moving guards? Nah, fam. <laughs> After this year, you probably going to have to pay him. I love our defensive line. I love our defense right now. I don't know what Jim Schwartz really does, but you know I'm young. But I love our defense. The only people that I don't like on our defense are our cornerbacks. But I'm pretty hyped about Leotis McKelvin. Uh, I'm pretty hyped to get most of our corners back again. Uh, Nolan Carroll coming back. Ja'Cory Shepard coming back, who was promising as hell. Uh, I'm excited to see these guys, but I'm real. And when I say real, I mean real excited about our safeties. Malcolm Jenkins is a dog. And who's it, Rodney McLeod? He, all he's done is kill people for his whole career. I still feel bad for Emmanuel Sanders going down that sideline. I'm still hurt in my chest for Emmanuel Sanders going down that sideline. Because Emmanuel Sanders is my size. And that's me trying to sneak into the club and then the bouncer throw me out. And I'm just on the ground on the concrete somewhere. I'm hurt. I'm hurt just like Nolan was. I want to see Rodney McLeo fly all around that field. And the thing is, like, you'll get this average Philadelphia Eagles fan from Philly that will tell you that every damn safety that we every every time we get after Dawkins is the next Dawkins. Well, ain't nobody been hitting like Rodney McLeo, and he wear a Jordan number. So I'm hyped. I'm real hyped for that. And Malcolm Jenkins was a pro bowler last year on merit and not on injury replacement. So we out here, damn it. We real out here. And it's time. We're going to get these nine wins, and it's going to be special. And I dare Kirk Cousins to come on my field and see if I won't run up on him. <clears throat> it's time. It's real time. Yeah. I don't even know who in our division this year besides us. It's us. We're going to be eating wild wild cheese steaks all up and down the field. It's game time. Playing Meek Mill out the speakers. <clears throat> 
I think a fun fact is I actually came in with Brian Dawkins. We were in the same uh, draft class in Philly. So the thing about him is uh, pretty much from day one in shorts. And I always talk about how you can't really know nothing in shorts. Yeah, we knew something about him in shorts. Everybody <laughs> did. The whole fucking team kind of took notice of this kid from day one. So he was special and we all knew it. Um, and I, I was, you know, just very happy to see how his career turned out. Obviously, I, <laughs> I didn't last very long in Philly. Didn't even make it all the way out of training camp. But I knew and, and everybody on that team knew right away that that kid was going to be special. And obviously he was. So He's um, special as hell. Yeah, he, he, he's hell. on another place. I'm he's on I, another level. I, I don't know that you can even find guys like the next him, I think, would be kind of putting too much on, pressure on any young safety just because he was built different. He just was. Like his mentality, his he, he physically, of course, you know, he's blessed. He's fast, big, and strong and all that. But just his mentality from day one, man, was just – it was on a whole nother level. So it'd be too much pressure on his whole entire family to try to do something <laughs> like that. The thing is, like, I don't even in hindsight, and it's always fun to play that hindsight game. I don't even know how you took how 60 players went before Brian Dawkins. I don't even lawyer lawyer Malloy went before Brian Dawkins. Are you serious? <laughs> the only safety that went before Brian Dawkins. Somebody picked Dedrick Mathis and Patrick Sapp. <laughs> before Brian Dawkins. Really? Somebody picked James Manley in front of Brian Dawkins. I don't even understand how you could do that. There's not even many dudes who went 60 spots before him. The first, like, like how? Amani Toomer went before him. That's cool. Mike Alscott. That's cool. Ray Lewis. That's cool. But like, who else? <laughs> how could you pick somebody besides this monster human being from Clemson? How? Oh, you know how? Because you couldn't figure it out after he was flying all in your backfield from 20 yards away. I just didn't get it. Who is Jerome Woods from Memphis? He went 28 <laughs> that year. I, I never even heard of this dude's name. Well, the Chiefs, so, you know. Alex Moulton went to New Orleans from Oregon. I ain't heard your name ever, champ. What you doing? Come on. I, I blame these NFL teams for not being able to see pure talent like 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 the Philadelphia Eagles organization. We we <laughs> we had Donovan McNabb and Brian Dawkins. We, we, Brian Westbrook out of Villanova. Come on, son. He was legendary. I, I can't wait. Is I, I think is it five years to the Hall of Fame? I think Dawkins will be eligible for the Hall of Fame next year. He better go first, like Allen Iverson did. <laughs> I, I don't need no second year tryout for Brian Dawkins. Brian Dawkins was probably the most special free safety in the 21st century. Like you could make that argument for like I don't know, Ed 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 whatever his name was from from Baltimore. He's so insignificant. Ed, whatever his name. Was. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't even place his name because he was so insignificant on the scale of Brian Dawkins. I can't. I don't even know his last name. He don't even got a surname. He just Ed to me. Just Ed. And that dude with all that hair who played for the Steelers. I don't even know his first name. I I just know they called him Polo or something. I don't know his name. All I know is Brian Dawkins was the only free safety from like 2000 to 2012. I don't know who else played the position besides them. Man, I tell you what, this is it's been <coughs> Tyler's been fun to have on the podcast, Steve. We're gonna we we'll, we'll have to talk to Elena and make sure we can get him back. So I just know that I I'm not the one who uh who suggested that. Uh it's on tape. So for audio <laughs> <laughs> 
Charles, you copy, please already. Come on now. <laughs> for, for all the Elena's listening, just know I ain't the one who suggested it. I got fifth tatted on my heart. Uh, I don't shit about that. So I, I won't be excited because Elena coming at me throwing hands. Mm, nah, ain't gonna beat me, fam. Well, nope. hey, I, I, you're working on a big NFL project, I, and I and I'm, I'm anxious to see it soon. I don't want to give it all away, but it involves. Money, Congress, and football. So that's going to be pretty interesting. So you Just gotta, know I'm going to feed the streets like I always do. I, 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 that's right. And I got to make sure you get back to work on that, man. Um, yeah. Um, back to work. Uh, um, <laughs> I, man, shit. I've been eating pineapples all day sitting at my desk with no shoes on. So <laughs> if somebody asks, I'm at Red Lobster. <laughs> And with that, that's probably good. That's probably a good spot to end the family hour because we, we've we've got a long one on tape today, but it's a good one. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to this shit publish. I'm gonna I'm, I'm mill rock up and down everybody Twitter timeline. <laughs> Can we discuss that Stephen don't follow me on Twitter? I, I feel so what? disrespected. Right, right, right. I didn't I'm, even ever see your right. Twitter handle. I don't think. Well, actually, I did. I thought I thought I did follow you. I thought See, I followed you. Look, when was, look, look at these lies. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah you, that's the guy. And for everybody who's like out here, everybody who needs that down. Twitter handle like Steven, down. everybody who needs that Twitter handle like Steven, I'm at Tyler Ricky Tines on these Twitter streets. You could you could send Skittles and any other types of treats and payola to my uh, DM. <laughs> I accept all gifts. <laughs> It will not affect our friendship, but I will lovingly take whatever you want to send to me. I like Skittles and I like lobster tail. So send me all that. And pineapple. Oh, yeah. Send me some pineapple, too. I'm out here with these exotic fruits. (laughs) Exotic indeed. Exotic indeed. Well, Tyler, thanks for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure to have you. And we will get you back on here if we have to beg and plead the powers that be at SB Nation to make that happen. Yeah, and if anybody asks, I've been working all afternoon. Of course. I'm totally going to edit that part out. Yeah, yeah. I've been working all afternoon with shoes on and with clothes on. I'm not like, you know, just sitting in my bed playing video games during the work day. Who does that? <laughs> not me. <laughs> all right, fellas. Uh, uh, with that, we, uh, with that we'll, uh, we'll let you go and get on with your day. And uh, thanks again, Stephen. Thanks again, Tyler. 